Good morning. Uh, I'm Steve Williams, chairman of the Elder Board of Bethlehem Church. More than 25 years ago, sensing a gap in the evangelical witness in eastern Morris County, the Lord prompted a handful of people to join together and start a new church. That small beginning led to a fruitful ministry for many years called Cornerstone Church. Over time, a relationship developed between Cornerstone and Bethlehem, and several years ago, during a challenging time for Cornerstone, Bethlehem and Cornerstone combined resources and shared a common vision of making a difference for Christ in Morris County and the world. While the ministry of Bethlehem Church continues in pursuit of our shared vision, the physical assets of the Cornerstone campus have been repurposed or sold, and although the physical ministry of Cornerstone may not persist today, we continue to be blessed by the time and talent of individuals who are a part of Cornerstone. Some of our current staff, leadership, and congregants were involved in various aspects of this ministry throughout the years, from attendees to leadership positions and ministry positions. The legacy of Cornerstone is something only eternity will fully tell, but we know that the Lord used that ministry to grow his kingdom, and he's still doing so. The sale of the Cornerstone property allowed us to pay off our mortgage and and make investments in our physical plant, but before we allocated those funds, we determined that we'd tithe on the proceeds of the sale by giving gifts to other nonprofit organizations in honor of the ministry that had taken place at Cornerstone. The Elder Board requested recommendations from the congregation, and we received suggestions for 25 well-deserving nonprofits that we might bless with a gift from the Cornerstone Tithe. After prayerful consideration and research, the Board chose the following seven organizations to receive gifts. First Choice Women's Resource Center, Market Street Mission, World Impact Newark Christian School, and Camp Cedarbrook will each receive $10,000. America's Keswick, Crossroads Church, and Pillar College will each receive $8,225. And you can read more about the specifics of each of those organizations in the newsletter you received earlier this week. Thank you to all who participated in the process by making recommendations, and especially to those who wrote uh, really heartfelt letters to accompany those recommendations. The faith and commitment of everyone involved in the Cornerstone ministry over the years to touching people with God's message continues to be honored by God. The ministry was instrumental in lives being saved and changed and God's kingdom growing. We know he wants us to continue to do this, so we're very pleased to have opportunity to bless other Christian nonprofits as a way of honoring Cornerstone to the glory of God. The legacy of Cornerstone is something only eternity will fully tell. We know that the Lord used this initiative to grow his kingdom, and we trust he'll continue to do so in this small way. Today we're celebrating many ways in which we're seeing God work through the people and ministry of Bethlehem Church. We celebrate what he did through the ministry of Cornerstone, and we want to celebrate what he's done over this past year through each of you. So think back to Christmas. Anyone remember Christmas? Anyone at all? During the Christmas season, we spent time reflecting on how the advent of Christ brought hope, peace, love, and joy, and we were challenged to make that part of our Christmas celebration by sharing that hope, peace, love, and joy with others. Let's take a few moments to celebrate 
a small part of the impact you had on people both near and far. What's next indeed? In fact, what's it all about? You should have received this newsletter in the mail this week. I asked you to carefully read that. If you didn't, please do. If you haven't received it, they are more available at the Welcome Center. So we've celebrate what he's celebrated what he's done and still continues to do through faith-filled people as we consider the legacy of Cornerstone. We've seen what the Lord did in very personal and meaningful ways through you just because you opened yourself up and said, Lord, help me bring peace, love, joy to people during Advent. So much, so much good. So much investment, so much purpose and change, and, and really glory to God through it all. We're glad. It's good to see. It's good to celebrate. It's good to record. And it's also so easy to lose perspective. What do I mean? Well, I recently watched the movie about uh, Steve Jobs and the birth of the Apple Corporation. Steve Jobs was certainly one of uh, recent history's most significant innovators, and he's revolutionized much of how we act, interact, and even think about things that we do on a daily basis. I fully expected to be inspired and challenged to think in different ways by watching this movie. I mean, after all, he and his company are cited so often for thinking in ways so different and so revolutionary. Why, Why would I expect anything less? But what stood out to me most was... Not the comment from Ashton Kutcher who played uh, Steve Jobs in the movie. Instead, it came from John Scully, who was played by Matthew Modine. The company at this point was already a success. It was growing fast, and it needed leadership for the day-to-day operations and strategic planning uh, that needed to to take place and was more than Steve Jobs could or, or should be doing. So they went after John Scully. Now, John Scully was the president of Pepsi at the time. Thought never to be interested in uh, this business. The quip in the movie was, does he really only want to be known for selling a sugary soft drink for the rest of his life? So they had the courage to ask him, and he came. In this particular scene, it's an open workspace where the movers and shakers of this company are kind of standing around at their workstations, and uh, John Scully is introduced to them. And then he gives them a speech. And among other things, he says in that, you are not selling a computer. You're selling what a computer can do. And that is limitless. It was one of those moments of clarity and vision and and purpose. This is one of the remarkable things about this company that keeps them so quotable time and time again. Whether you like Apple or not, for years, they have been selling what is inspirational precisely because they open horizons people didn't know were there and, and in ways that seem like a limitless benefit to the individual. What do I mean? like a thousand songs in your pocket. Who would have ever thought, right? Others think it's about the computer or the thing that you put the songs on. And they complete, and so they try and replicate that by making computers and they miss the point. 
the point that anyone, and as a matter of fact, in the scene of this movie, even the leaders of Apple in that moment could have easily mistaken. The point is not the device. The point is what it can do. Vision, inspiration. That once conceived idea that becomes a motivation in and of itself that you just cannot deny. That mystical spot which many times for just a transitory moment brings clarity and and defines purpose and it cuts through all the distractions and answers something deep inside of you that you know cannot be ignored. Have you ever had that? Have you ever known that moment of clarity where you knew that idea, that vision, that inspiration was worth whatever it would take for you to realize it? When you've been touched there, you know it. Its answers make sense and you want to move further. It gives direction and it can become a very, a very reason for existing. As I said before, this is what makes artists create and, and, and authors write and songwriters compose. And it is, in fact, what makes the faithless believe. And I think when that really happens, a very deep and natural response within us is to want others to be touched by the same thing. I remember experiencing such a moment of of clarity in my life that, that ended up defining a direction for me. A simple phrase. The hope of the world is in the church of Jesus Christ. That phrase redirected and gave focus in my life like it never had before. Now, it's not that I had never thought of the concept, and it wasn't that I wasn't even beginning to go in that direction, but I didn't have that clear, defined, crystal, clear articulation of what it was that made me exist. But from that on, that time on, I did. And it served me time and time again in the direction that I took and decisions that I made and purpose for my living, career placements and focus. In seminary, it caused me to choose certain courses of study. It, it ended up defining the mission field that I ended up choosing. Did you know I had a chance to go to Aruba? I love the Caribbean. And this time of year, that's just sounding really, really good. And why didn't I go there? But as I seriously considered it, because it was an option, it didn't line up with what God had touched my heart about doing because of who I was, how I was wired, and what He wanted to accomplish through me. This was true clarity and purpose, transcendent power and meaning for God's direction in my life. Now that's inspirational, right? Here's the problem. This is easily lost or misunderstood or misapplied. Why? Well, for a couple of reasons. Some of those are are natural tendencies. Uh, Laziness, distraction, uh, our own human frailty, the maniacal busyness that we end up finding ourselves caught up in. There's a natural entropy in life, a natural set of forces of a fallen world that lead to a diminishing 
a continual decline that always has to be battled against. So there's natural reasons why this kind of clarity, this kind of focus that ought to drive why we exist and what we do and where we go to, to be gone, to be missed, to be misapplied, to be forgotten. There are also supernatural tendencies that influence this. First of all, we have an enemy, and that enemy exists to destroy, to confuse, to distract, and all he's got to do is get you off track, and, and then he wins. We also have a God who waits for us to respond. He doesn't kick doors down because he wants a very sincere response from his creation made in his image who can choose to respond. So, whether through natural forces or whether these supernatural ones, in a word, this kind of vision, this kind of focus, this kind of direction, leaks. It drains. It easily gets lost. And this is why occasionally it's essential to to pause and to recast and remind and return to one spot of clarity and then recalibrate to make sure that we are pursuing what we were initially touched and changed by. And I'd like to attempt to do that through one very simple and yet easily misunderstood lesson in the Bible. I read from Genesis chapter 15, just a few verses that say, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Abram, in a little while, is going to have his name changed by God to Abraham. And God says to him in a vision, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield your very great reward. But Abram said, Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the Lord of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then, one of the most critical verses in the Bible, verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, we define ourselves as believers, rightly so. The single sin that separates any person from God is this, unbelief. That's it. There is no other sin so great that God would not forgive. Only unbelief separates you from God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's that simple. Not cheap, not easy, but that clear and that simple. And then we immediately go off the tracks with the next question. So, what do you believe? And what is not the question? It's never the question. Who is the question? In whom do you believe? 
true, belie- true belief, true faith, doesn't believe something, it believes someone, right? How uh, the Bible tells us is through this real simple lesson. Abraham is considered the father of our faith. And usually you go to Genesis chapter 12 because that's where the story begins. And God comes to him and he calls him and he promises him. And he promises that he's going to make him a great nation. And then he promises he's going to bless the whole world through him. And he's going to give him a land. And Abraham follows him and he even listens to the promise. But he's not heralded as the father of faith until Genesis chapter 15. What I just read. And there it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Three times this passage is repeated in other, time, other places of Scripture so that we can understand this point of faith. And I want you to see why. Verse 6 says, he believed God. He believed God. He didn't believe the promise, or simply the promise, He believed God. And verse 1, it said to him, the Lord said to him in verse 1, I am your shield and your very great reward. Not the promise, but God himself. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Not simply the promise. The promise had a limit, didn't it? You could define the borders of this nation he was going to have. Though Abraham couldn't count the number of stars, implicitly there's a finite number. What Abraham saw was God, and he is limitless. This is an inspiration from the Apple Corporation. This is truth. It isn't about what you believe. It is about who you believe in. We don't simply believe a promise as if we only want to personally benefit. That's limited. We believe God as if His promise is so that all can benefit, and that is limitless. That's not Steve Jobs or John Scully. That's God's idea. He has saved us for all time and eternity, and that is the ultimate limitlessness. That is inspiration. That is vision. That is meaning for all time and eternity. And that is worth everything. That's why we talk about touching all people with God's message. It's about Him. It's about trusting Him. It's about following Him. It's about obeying Him. It's about making Him most important over everything else. And when we see that, well then, all of this makes sense. And why we need to be a a part of all of this and then so much more. This is just a review of one simple year. So we got to ask ourselves, are you? We have a remarkable facility that this same vision, the same inspiration, this same person inspired our predecessors to build so that we, through this vehicle, could touch people with God's message. We have programs that happen in this place every week for every age possible. You have a staff that works 
hard and long, way beyond the hours that they have to work. We as a church, if you read this, we as a church gave at least 19,000 volunteer hours last year to do that. In one way or another, touch all people with God's message. We gave $1.45 million financially to seek to fulfill that mission. Why? Because we've been touched by this God. And we want other people to experience that same change of life. Now here's the problem. It's so easy to lose focus on that. And to get distracted or to misunderstand it because of the natural tendencies, because of the maniacal busyness of our lives. Or if we're honest, we're just frail and lazy sometimes and we lose focus and purpose because there are supernatural tendencies. We've got an enemy that wants to take your mind and distract it and destroy. And, honestly, you also have a God who will not kick your door down. But He stands and He knocks. And he wants you to sincerely respond. In a phrase, vision leaks. And as it's leaking, we find ourselves standing with everything that we need to accomplish what God wants us to do in our hands. Literally. Because he's promised us himself and so much more. And every once in a while, we have to stop and ask ourselves, wait a minute, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And what am I doing with what he's put in my hands? Bruce Wilkinson, if you've ever heard of him, is a person who's had a significant amount of influence in uh, our, uh, our country. And um, he specifically has been involved in uh, First Choice Resource Center that I happen to have the privilege of being a part of. Over the last three years, he's been a part of something that we've been doing. And that ministry has grown remarkably because of his focus and clarity like this. It's, it's amazing. And he shared a story recently uh, that I heard him tell. Um, he works with uh, all kinds of movers and shakers around this world uh, because of his... Uh, place of influence. And he had a very, very wealthy man come up to him and say, is God broke? And he goes, that's a sincere question. He said, everybody who contacts me about giving money to something says that God wants this to happen. What's the matter? Has God got no money? Why do I have to give all this money? If, if I mean, it doesn't got very clarifying answer. God is asset rich, but he is cash poor. What do you mean by that? He owns everything, and everything that he has placed in your hands is his. But he has, very intentionally, given much of what he has into the hands of those that he loves, wanting them to see him for who he is, and then invest what they have to make sure that other people can see him for who he is and share with those people with the kind of spirit and generosity that God shared with them. That's why God does that. And you know what? He doesn't kick doors down. He waits for people to respond. 
And this isn't true just of our money. It's also true of our time. I told you that we gave about 19,000 hours of volunteer time uh, this week. So let's do a little bit bit of math, okay? And I had some help with this, so you can uh, be sure that these numbers are right, because, you know, anyway. Uh, Take out sleeping eight hours a day, okay? And we're going to say that you work for 10 hours a day. That leaves you about six hours a day of discretionary time. Okay, we have about 375 people on an average that come to this church. If you take those hours and you multiply, you come up with about 821,000 hours that we have available in a year of discretionary income. If you divide that by the 19,000 that we gave, it comes up to 2.3%. Which interestingly enough, is just about where most Christians give financially to, 2.3%. If we just tithed, gave 10% of our discretionary income, I'm not asking for all of your time. I'm not asking for all of your discretionary time. Just 10% of it. If we did that, do you know how many hours we would have in volunteer service through the ministries of this church? 75,000 hours. Now, that's four times as many. Honestly, we would need 25,000 to fill all of the opportunities that we already have available that we fill with 19,000 hours. So let's just say we had 50,000 more hours of time that we as a congregation gave to that mission. Imagine how many more opportunities for touching people we could accomplish because we did. Where did the 10% come from? Abraham, after he was touched by God and believed him. He gave 10% to God of everything that he owned. I think it exists as a good marker for us to be measuring ourselves. And so what about our treasures? We received some extraordinary year-end giving this year. And I don't know whether you follow along in the bulletin to those reports. We put them in there on a monthly basis and then a more expanded one on a quarterly basis. And uh, we received some extraordinary giving at the end of the year that put us in the black. And we are very, very grateful for our providing God. But if you have been following through the fiscal year, you will notice that these first six months of this year, we were behind every month. And that continued to increase, that amount that we were behind. Now, we cannot sustain a ministry year over year by just hoping for some extraordinary gifts at the end of the year, as grateful as we are for them. And I believe that as a result of some of the other things that we've been doing, including what we did coming out of Cornerstone, God honored that. But I believe that we need to be seriously asking Him, like Abraham, what do you want me to do with everything that you've given me in my hands? In terms of my time? In terms of my treasures? And I haven't even talked about our talents. How about your abilities? Are they being used for him? Do you know where you fit best? Are you finding fulfillment, even pleasure and meaning in what you do because of how you're made? You should be because that's what he intends to do. What if we had to have a line for, uh, for, for, for all of the volunteers that wanted to do things around here? Think of all the new opportunities we could start in serving people. What if we met budget each and every month Think of all that we could do when we receive that extra giving. 
What if every person found their fulfillment and their gifting? Think of all of the personal satisfaction, all of the glory and the honor that would go to God because of what he was doing through them. You know, in this, we really need to catch up with our children's ministry. About a year ago, they um, began a, a different way of teaching our children the lessons of the Bible. Instead of studying David and Goliath, they have been studying how God worked in David's life and then how he slayed Goliath. And apparently what seems like a subtle shift has been changing everything. Our children's understanding of God's work through them. Not just through David and Goliath, but through them. And it's changed the teachers as they see this perspective of God first and all he wants to do through us. Why? Because it's about promise. It's about the promise of him. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your great reward. What's this all about? This is all about him. And he wants to bless people with his very self. And he wants to make you all that you can be for him. And he wants you to trust him. And he wants to use everything he's placed in your hands for his purposes. In your time, in your talents, in your treasures. So let me leave you this morning with some questions that I posed in the newsletter. And you have a card in your uh, bulletin that looks like this with our mission statement on one side, and then these questions. And of course, I encourage you to put this somewhere prominent and pray about it and answer the questions, not to me, but to him. What is your current investment in what God wants you to do in this place of ministry? Is this all that he wants you to do? Or is there a greater part for you to play in his story with your time, with your talents, with your treasures, because he is worth it all, all that you have, all that you are, all that you do. With what he has put in your hands, how will you respond? Will you respond in prayer, in faith, like Abraham did? Because you see him. I'd like us to pray about that right now. And then I want us to go to this place of personal resolve. And in the celebration of all that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave, we might find clarity and vision and focus in what we willingly give for His glory. Heavenly Father, thank You. I thank you for being a a kind and patient God who, who doesn't kick doors down but waits on the sincere and meaningful response of your children to you. Not just to what you promise us but to you who who promises us your very self. How thankful we are that you're that good and you're that great. 
And I pray that you would work and move in each one of our hearts so that we would see, not because of anything that I've said this morning, but because you would open our eyes to who you are and how you would have us respond to you with all that you've placed in our hands. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.